Hey everyone, welcome back to the online ministry of Grace Baptist Church. Today we're continuing our series called Understanding the Book of Revelation. Revelation teaches that there's a blessing in reading and responding to its message. But for many, the book is either filled with codes or confusion. And we miss Revelation's own focus on Jesus and his call to faithfulness as a result. Today we're looking at the seven thunders and how to live when you see the end approaching. I know one of the ways that people envision their life in the last days because it's a booming industry right now. Just buying gas now is expensive and housing prices are crazy. But the doomsday bunker market is still thriving. You can buy underground shelters for your property that are no bigger than a tent. But if you're hoping to write out the apocalypse in style, you might as well do it right. The bunkers built for billionaires are built to withstand a nuclear strike. They're equipped with power systems and water purification and have food supplies for a year with hydroponic gardens so you don't have to go without fresh vegetables. Vivos Europa One offers high-end bunker living, but with a built-in community. It builds itself as a modern-day Noah's Ark and sits in a former munitions storage facility in Germany. It's literally carved out of rock and houses 34 underground homes starting at 2,500 square feet. In addition to your individual unit, there's an underground train that will connect residents with restaurants, coffee shops, a theater, pool, and a games area. If you thought the price of housing in the GTA was expensive, you probably don't need to apply. But what the doomsday bunker market tells me is that one of our natural responses to the threats and challenges of the last days is to retreat and hide. Your own safety can easily become your only consideration. And it's not hard to imagine why. But this is just one of the ways that I think we respond. When we were living in Japan and the earthquake hit in 2011, followed by the tsunami and the nuclear meltdown, I remember feeling almost numb. A survival instinct kicked in. We scrambled to get food and gas, but I felt like I was living in a fog. I was just overwhelmed and had no idea what to do at first. It would be easy to feel that after hearing all the warnings that have come so far in the book of Revelation. There have been threats of war, violence, poverty, disease, and persecution. And as things heat up, it'd be easy to check out. The tendency would be to pack it in, or at least pull back and draw in on yourself. And I think we face all of those same temptations today. If we could only afford it, we might just sign a contract on one of those underground bunkers. But Revelation points to a different way. It teaches us how to live in the last days, and it gives us that clarity when we feel that fog that I experienced. If you have your Bible, I ask you to turn with me now to Revelation 10, verses 1 to 11. If you don't have a Bible, you can click on the link in the description below. Revelation 10, verses 1 to 11. Then I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven, wrapped in a cloud with a rainbow over his head. And his face was like the sun and his leg pillars of fire. He had a little scroll open in his hand. And he set his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land and called out with a loud voice like a lion roaring. When he called out, the seven thunders sounded. And when the seven thunders had sounded, I was about to write, but I heard a voice from heaven saying, 
seal up what the seven thunders have said, and do not write it down. And the angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land raised his right hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and what is in it, the earth and what is in it, and the sea and what is in it, that there would be no more delay. But in the days of the trumpet call to be sounded by the seventh angel, the mystery of God would be fulfilled, just as he announced to his servants, the prophets. Then the voice that I had heard from heaven spoke to me again, saying, Go, take the scroll that is open in the hand of the angel who is standing on the sea and on the, on the land. So I went to the angel and told him to give me the little scroll. And he said to me, Take and eat it. It will make your stomach bitter, but in your mouth it will be sweet as honey. And I took the little scroll from the hand of the angel and ate it. It was sweet as honey in my mouth, but when I had eaten it in my stomach was made bitter. And I was told, you must again prophesy about many peoples and nations and languages and kings. This is the word of God. Now this vision gives us three areas to focus on when we're facing life in the last days. When you feel that mental fog that I was in after the tsunami, this is where to train your attention. The first is this, remember that God's in control and we only see part of the picture. Big problems overwhelm us because we know that we can't solve them and they confuse us because we don't understand them. So we need to remember God's the one who's in control and we only see a part of the picture. Now, picture John's readers as they hear the vision of this mighty angel he describes in verse 1. The Roman Empire has turned against them and they're feeling the pressure. They could be jailed or killed for what they believe and they're already feeling the economic consequences of devotion to Jesus. It feels too much for them. But then they hear John's words. He describes another mighty angel descending from heaven. Now there are plenty of angels in Revelation, but there are only three that are described as mighty angels. The first came in chapter 5, and this one is called another mighty angel, so that we remember that one. It's wrapped in a cloud with a rainbow over its head. Both of those images take us back to the time of Noah and the ark. We remember the incredible destruction that God brought about through the rain clouds, the flood. But we also remember how he rescued those who trusted in him. The rainbow reminds us of God's mercy. John says that the angel's face was like the sun. And we're picturing that time when Jesus went up on the Mount of Transfiguration with Peter, James, and John, and it says his face shone like the sun. That revealed his glory. And the same thing is happening with this angel here. Having come from the very presence of God, his face still reflects his shining brilliance. Next, it says his legs were like pillars of fire. The last time we saw a pillar of fire in the Bible was when God led the Israelites through the wilderness during the night. It's a picture of God's deliverance and guidance through the darkness. In verse 2, we get a better sense of this angel scale. It says that he set his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land. It's not just describing an angel on a beach dipping its toes in the water. We're probably to picture something more on the scale of Christ the Redeemer statue in Rio de Janeiro. The vision of the angel is huge so that John can feel its might. 
three times in this chapter, we're told that the angel stands straddling the sea and the land, showing that he has authority over both of them. The picture of this angel is so glorious that some commentators have concluded it must be Christ himself. But it's unlikely that Jesus would be called another mighty angel. The point is rather that even God's angels are greater than our biggest fears. And when our problems feel overwhelming, we need to remind ourselves that God's up for the task. We need to reflect on the judgment and mercy he showed in the days of Noah. We need to remember the glory that shone in the face of Jesus Christ. We need to remember how God led the Israelites through, through the dark wilderness nights. And we need to acknowledge God is in control of everything. He is the authority over all of it. Often we do the op opposite. We fix on a, fixate on our problems and act as if God is powerless to, to do anything. Now, when the angel calls out in verse 3, it sounds like a lion roaring, and it unleashes seven thunders. They likely reveal more judgments because that's what thunders often, uh, uh, thunder often accompanies in Scripture. They're probably to be understood in a similar way to the seven seals, the seven trumpets, and seven bowls. But the fact is, we're not told anything more about them. In verse 4, John seems to understand what they're all about because he's about to write them down like all of the other visions in Revelation. Only this time, he's told not to. In verse 4, there's a voice from heaven that says, Seal up what the seven thunders have said and do not write it down. Now, it makes you wonder why the seven th thunders sounded in the first place, doesn't it? If we're not supposed to know what they reveal, wouldn't it have just been easier to keep quiet about them altogether? It seems that it's important that we know that we don't know all that there is to know. The seven thunders remind us that where the unfolding of God's purposes in is involved, we're operating on a need-to-know basis. It's like what it says in Deuteronomy 29, 29. That's where it says, The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. God hasn't told us everything. And we wouldn't understand it all if, we, if he did. He's told us everything we need to know, but there are certain things that are known to him alone. When I think back to when my children were little, many of the frustrations they experienced came from the fact that they couldn't see the big picture. Your three-year-old isn't thinking about the nutritional content of their food. They're not trying to balance proper diet and make sure they get enough sleep. They don't have to think about fire insurance or getting the car serviced. A parent manages a hundred different responsibilities on behalf of their child, and they're blissfully unaware of almost all of them. And it's the same in our relationship with God. We're all toddlers compared to him. And as smart as we like to consider ourselves, there's plenty about the running of the universe that we don't know about. And that's a good thing because we couldn't handle the knowledge anyway. So whether you're facing a terrifying diagnosis or an impending war, whether you've just lost your job or lost someone close to you, no matter how much life seems to be spinning out of control, you need to remember God's in charge, and you only see part of the picture. He's revealed what we need to know, but not everything that we'd like to know. So we need to trust him with our questions 
and cling to the truths that he's revealed about himself. Rehearse in your mind the stories of his amazing acts. Remember his tender dealings with his people. That's how you keep your sanity when the end is approaching. We also need to believe that the promises of God will be fulfilled. While we walk through uncertainty and many of our questions are unanswered, God has given us promises and by clinging to them, we can move forward with confidence and hope. Believe that the promises of God will be fulfilled. Now, after John is told not to write down the vision of the seven thunders, his eyes turn back to the angel. In verse five, he's pictured again, standing with one foot on the sea and the other on the land. He does so again as an expression of his authority. Only now his right hand is raised to heaven. He looks like he's being sworn in as a witness in a court case. As he speaks in verse six, we realize that's exactly what's happening. He's swearing by the name and authority of God. And his message is that there'll be no more delay. Verse seven says, in the days of the trumpet call to be sounded by the seventh angel, the mystery of God would be fulfilled, just as he announced to his servants, the prophets. When the trumpets are sounding, it sounds like they'll go on forever. When you're, when you're in a trial that's overwhelming you, it feels like it'll never end. As John and his readers faced the pressures and persecutions of Rome, it was hard to imagine that it would ever be anything different. God says his angel, sends his angel to swear by his authority that relief will come. There are seven trumpets and no more. And the end is good news. We need to be reminded of that. When we hear the trumpets, our tendency is to fear that they end in doom. I read one article recently that gave a series of ways that Stephen Hawking had predicted the world would end. For example, in 2017, he warned, he warned that unless we learn how to prepare for and avoid the potential risks, AI could be the worst event in the history of civilization. Ironically, in the same year, he said that the earth was becoming too small for us and warned that we could self-destruct from overpopulation. Then he said that global warming could make the earth like Venus in a temperature of 250 degrees with raining sulfuric acid. By the end of the article, I was wondering how the man ever slept at night. <laughs> now, God has sworn that the end is good news for the people of God. It doesn't mean that we don't have to worry about those things. It doesn't mean that we don't need to take good care of our planet. But we do know that the end is good news. Specifically, he says, the mystery of God will be fulfilled. The word mystery in scripture is often used to describe predictions that are fulfilled in surprising ways. Just as Christ's death ended with the surprise of his resurrection, the accomplishment of salvation, and the incredible birth of the church, the world will end with a great reversal and it will fulfill all of God's good purposes. We need to cling to that when the end is approaching. We need to trust in God's purposes when our lives feel out of control. We need to believe that the promises of God will be fulfilled. Finally, we need to devour and proclaim the message that we've been given. We need to do more than just hold on as the trumpets are sounding. Our mission isn't to build a bunker to hide in until the storm passes. We need to devour and proclaim the message we've been given.
Starting in verse eight, you have one of those scenes that if you're new to the Bible can give you a bit of a headache (laughs) in trying to make sense of it because it's just so confusing. John is told by the angel to take the scroll and eat it. And he's warned that it'll taste delicious, but it'll make him sick. What's going on here? Like the entire book of Revelation, this scene is built using images from elsewhere in the Bible. Specifically, it's giving a nod to the commissioning of a man named Ezekiel, who was set apart in the Old Testament to speak God's message of warning. Ezekiel was also told to eat the scroll that was given to him. It was a way of expressing his need to completely take in its message, devour it, absorb it, digest it. When Ezekiel ate the scroll, he said that it was as sweet as honey in his mouth. God's word always speaks to his mercy on those who turn to him and the hope that he holds out for them. In that sense, the message of the Bible is always sweet. But on the other side of God's mercy toward those who are repentant is judgment for those who stubbornly resist him. It's hard to think about the fact that there are many who won't humble themselves before God. It's painful to remember that there are many who won't ever be forgiven. Ezekiel was warned about that reality. And in in a sense, it's the realization that everyone who shares God's word has to come to terms with. And it's why the scroll became bitter in John's stomach. While he would share a message of incredible hope in Christ, judgment would await all who refused to respond. The point of the angel having John reenact this scene from another prophet's commissioning was to make it clear what he was to do. He was being set apart to devour and proclaim God's message. That's why it says in verse 11, and I was told you must again prophesy about many peoples and nations and languages and kings. So that part is clear, but think through the implications of what that means. John is living in an era of Roman persecution, and he's being warned of growing tribulation and catastrophe. You'd think that the angel would arrive and tell him to take it easy. Keep your head down, and if you can afford it, buy one of those bomb shelters for yourself. Find a safe place and withdraw. But he seems to be saying the opposite. He's telling them he has a role as a witness. He needs to testify to the gospel and warn those who are resisting it. But remember also, he's already in exile on an island for telling people about Jesus Christ. And he's about 90 years old. So he's been ministering the gospel for almost 60 years when he's given this vision of his commissioning as a prophet. How many more people did he have to speak to? How many more nations would he have to visit? How many more languages would he have to learn? Surely this reenactment of the prophet Ezekiel's commission isn't just for John. He's already been commissioned by Jesus himself. Surely it's intended to convince all of us of our role in sharing the gospel in the last days. This isn't a time for retreat. It isn't a time to withdraw. We've been given a mission. People need to hear before it's too late. And with everything that's happening in our world today, It's not hard to initiate conversations about God. I I was speaking with someone this week and they were talking about the pandemic and the war in Ukraine and rising gas prices and the frustration with it all. And I just asked, 
What if God is using all this to get our attention? What if he's trying to tell us that this isn't our home? That was all that it took to get into an hour-long conversation about the good news about Jesus Christ. If our world doesn't make someone ask questions about God right now, I'm not sure when it will. So where do you need to apply this message in your life? Do you, mean, do you need to be reminded that God's in control? Do you need that vision of a massive angel who reflects God's judgment and mercy and glory and deliverance? Do you need to tell yourself, God is bigger than your problems, bigger than your fears, and bigger than whatever might come next? Do you need to remind yourself that God's in control and he doesn't need your help in running the universe? Does the message of the seven thunders encourage you with the knowledge that it's okay not to have everything figured out? Can you rest in not knowing because you know that God is handling it? Do you need that vision of the angel holding up his hand to swear that relief is coming and God's promises are coming to fulfillment? Do you need to be reminded that for those who trust Christ, the end isn't doomsday? It's everything that we've been longing for. The people of God are to be a people of hope. Maybe you know all of that, but if you're honest, you know that you haven't eaten the scroll. You probably have several pristine scrolls around your house for decoration, and you take them out and taste them occasionally. You enjoy it when other people chew the, chew the scroll for you. But taking time to read the scripture for yourself and reflect deeply on it isn't something that you've developed yet. Take the scroll and eat it. And know that it's not just for you. You've been given it to share. We've been commissioned to tell others. But obviously you can't share a message you haven't fully received. If you haven't trusted in, in the God who's bigger than all of your problems, come to him today. If you haven't believed in the Savior who's written hope into the future that he's planned for his people, then look to him today. Take the message of Jesus' death on the cross for sinners and taste the sweetness of the eternal life that he offers to all who trust him and follow him into the life that he calls us to. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you that in the midst of confusion and uncertainty and chaos seemingly around us, Thank you for reminding us that you are in complete control. You stand in power over all of it. And although there is much that we don't understand and much that we can't understand, we find relief in knowing that you do and that you are accomplishing all of your good purposes and carrying this world, this history forward to a conclusion that ends in relief for the people of God, a, a, an end that, that ends with the fulfillment of all of your promises coming to uh, their fruition. All that we have longed for, all that we have waited for. Help us, Father, to cling to that uh, vision, cling to that hope, Cling to you and to your power, authority, and knowledge over all of it. And help us to find in you the strength to take this word that you have given it, 
given us. To absorb it and ingest it, to take it in, to reflect deeply on it, and to share it with a dying world. Give us that courage and that help, and may you use us to draw many to yourself. For we ask you in Jesus' name, amen. And I hope this message has helped you to understand the message of the seven thunders and given you a vision for how to live life in the last days. If it stirred up questions or you'd like to know more about a relationship with Jesus, send me an email or leave a comment below. If you think this is a message that others need to hear, hear share the link and help spread the word. As always, for more messages of hope, visit gracebc.ca. God bless and see you next time.